to Retro Rovers, a Bristol Rovers podcast. Retro Rovers, because the past is as important as the present. Welcome to another edition of Retro Rovers. This is where we take a look back at the good and sometimes not so good side of Bristol Rovers Football Club. Uh, Today's episode is sponsored by Terrace Flags. Uh, They design or make flags for all football clubs in various sizes. For more information, you can contact Mike at sales at terraceflags.co.uk. Very special episode for us today. Uh, Before I get into that, though, I'd just like to welcome uh, my co-presenters on this one. Uh, That's Lee Morgan and Ash Belston. How are you doing, lads? You okay? Hey, Brim. Okay. Very well. Good, Brim. All right, mate. Uh, And somebody who needs absolutely no introduction... Well, maybe he does. Maybe he does need some, an introduction if you haven't watched Rovers back in the day. That is somebody you played. How many games did you play for us, Nigel? Including cup games, it was 124. There you go. We've got, to, we've got to include everything. So a very good afternoon to Nigel Martin. So thanks for joining us, Nigel. This, it's a big thrill for me. I was a young man, uh, grew up watching you play. And, and you, you know, so it's a big deal for us. So thank you very much for taking the time out to to just chat to us about your time with us and what went, no what subsequently no went on afterwards. So, uh, so the first, the first question that I had for you really is because you, you were a goalkeeper late in life, really, weren't you? As goalkeepers go. Yeah. You were, you well, were... Go on. Well, how it actually went, I always wanted to be the goalkeeper. Um, right. So I played under nines for a, a local team in Cornwall. Um and then what they found out was I could play outfield as well. And so what happened then was kind of that age, if you're a pretty decent outfielder, they sort of would rather you were out there and not sort of wasting half the time, you know, in goal. Yeah. So what happened then was um, all, all the way through school and, and sort of local football, um, all the coaches wanted to play me as, a, as, a, as an outfielder. So I played sort of from... from after under nine, so under tens onwards, I guess, um, right up until 16 as a, as a right winger, a centre forward, um, a central midfielder. Um, and then really once I'd left school um, and probably I'd left school and probably left in about the May time and it was probably getting towards certainly well into the winter by the time my brother's works team was short and I could actually sort of choose to play where I wanted to. So, you know, at 16, I decided I wanted to play in goal and that was it. Did you always know how good you were in goal though? In, if they, well, they... we always, we, we used to play over the park. So like, you know, a whole gang of us that lived around where I live, you know, they were, they, we were lucky enough. There was a, a very small football pitch on there and we used to play football practically every waking hour that we could. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I could play in goal when it was like that. So, um, I, it just felt natural for me, and and um, you know, I, I I thought I was all right at doing it. So, <laughs> so when my brother's works thing was short, I was just uh, happy to go and you know have a go. Yeah, absolutely. Ash, got a question? Do you think um, playing outfield until sort of sixteen, seventeen helps you as a keeper with your, your distribution and that sort of thing? Do you tend to know where an outfield player might want the ball played a little bit more than somebody who's been in goal for their their whole childhood? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, what I found very quickly was that when you're not playing as an outfielder anymore and it's just goalkeeping, you you kind of lose a lot of those skills, really. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at them now in in the Premier League, you know the goalkeepers have, have basically got to be as good as, as the centre halves at distribution and rece- you know receiving the ball and and uh, you know everything's got to be perfect. So 
I think there would have been a lot more work being done um, in, in your work day um, on, on that sort of thing. I think I would have eventually have, have, have found it all again, but probably wasn't my, you know, my strongest asset in, in, in through, throughout my career. My, my distribution, you know, kicking wise was, was not brilliant. You know, yes, I knew where people wanted it. I wasn't always able to put it exactly where they wanted it. <laughs> the one I, could, I mean, I, I said to the lads earlier on that I, when I when I look back now and and your time playing, your distribution actually used to roll the ball out certainly a lot to to your fullbacks and and that's very modern now in the way that they they expect keepers to play and keep the ball flowing. You were doing that twenty odd years ago. Was that something then that was? Is that just a natural thing for you, or was that something that was coached into you early on? Um, I think a bit of both. I think naturally, if if you can give the ball to somebody that who's got time on it, so. Yeah. If you're giving it to a fullback and they've actually got time to have a touch, maybe have another touch to get the ball out of their feet, have a look, their their pass is going to be more accurate than than me kicking it out yeah. of my hands to you know to a rough area if you like. Yeah. So um, you know definitely if, if if they had time and especially if they had space in front of them, were able to run into that space, you know the whole the whole team moves up. So naturally that's kind of where my head would have, would be um but also you know we we had a an england international who very rarely gave the ball away as the manager so yeah you know that was that was a big thing for him Absolutely. you know he he, he 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 knew our limitations but he still wanted us to try and play as much as as we could yeah morgs yeah, Nigel, what I can't believe is for all those years as a youngster, there were better players than you to go in goal and you had to wait all those years to get a, get a place. What's happening in Cornwall well, that we don't know about? I, I, I joke about it now because I played Cornwall schools for uh, rugby and cricket, but I didn't didn't make it for football. It's so um, <laughs> it, it, it all seems a bit mad, but obviously I wasn't, I wasn't playing in goal at the time. And, and to be honest, I was quite small when I was young. It, it was probably when I got to about 14, 15 that I suddenly started growing very quickly. So, um, you know, all the way through, I'd have probably been seen as a bit too small, but I, also I was quite quick. Um, when I was younger so I was quite you know if you're quite slight and, and quick you know you, you're more suited to be an outfielder so I think the, the goalkeeping body developed <laughs> So as a youngster then who was your team did you support anybody in particular was it Plymouth would have been the uh, local club I suppose but yeah Plymouth I used to, I used to go up and watch Plymouth um, as much as I could and you know I, had, I used to obviously when I was playing that that sort of Stop me on Saturdays, you know, going up because you'd have school games and things like that. But um, you know, on 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 days where it didn't clash with with any other games, you know, a few of us would jump on a train and go up and watch, you know, Argyle play. And you know, that's that was kind of my team all the way through, really. Yeah, sure. You played there a few times as well. I know you played for, but you played there for England in twenty ones as well, didn't you, Plymouth? No, I, I've didn't never you? played at Home Park. No, really, I, it was really it was really bizarre because. I was playing. I was playing for. Um, I was playing for my brother's work side, and I'd had maybe eighteen months there, and I got invited for a trial at, at Plymouth, and um, we went along, and it was it was really bad weather, and we we trained indoors, so there was no diving. It was just literally throwing a ball up in the air and jumping and catching and and things like this. So it was very basic stuff that we were doing. And then I was supposed to play a game against Newport. Um, I think it was like a Southeast Counties game or something for, for the, like the youth side. Um, 
And again, it was torrential rain and the game got called off because of the rain and then they never rang me again. Uh, right. Um, so it was probably, you know, probably about another year down the line that then I, I then get, a, you know, a, a trial and a chance at, uh, at Rovers. So, so the, history tells us that the tea lady, is that true? Is that true, that story about the tea lady? Yeah, it, it, it is. So so what happened was there was a guy that owned a carpet shop in St. Blasey and I was playing football for St. Blasey and he was obviously keen on his football because he would go along and watch. And he, and he's from the, the sort of Bristol area and he knew Vi, Violet uh, Harris, the, the tea lady. And um, I, I, I know this because I've gone and had many a cup of tea with, with Gordon. And uh, he he basically rang her and said, look, we've got a really good young goalie down here you perhaps ought to be looking at. Um, and I think she went in and saw Jerry. And Jerry sort of said to her, OK, you know, go back to your source and, and sort of send him up. So um, it was, it was a, you know, completely out of the blue. And Gordon approached myself and and the club St Blasey and sort of said you know so I, I I just remember taking a you know a day off work or a couple of days off work to go for this trial um trained Thursday Friday um and then played half a game against Gillingham on the Saturday at Forest Green Rovers yeah and Jerry came up to me after the game and said how much are you earning at the moment son <laughs> um and i was clever enough to add my overtime in and, and tell him i was on 95 quid a week so he said well we'll give you an extra tenner if you want to sign a, a year's contract it's amazing we had vaughan jones on a few weeks ago and i, I think I've, I've spoken to probably three members of the, the that team that have taken credit for your signing by uh, so ian holloway says he, he he told jerry you need to sign in vaughan jones has told me the same story and so's jeff twentyman um, so they were all taking pot shots at you in training, and nobody could beat you. Um, okay. And they said you got to sign him. So, so how quickly between when, when did Jerry make the offer? Was it during the game at Forest Green? Because there were loads of different rumours and stories around that whole thing. Yeah. No. I mean, I can I can bet I can remember the training sessions being particularly tough when you're not yeah. when you're not you know training every day as I wasn't and then you know going in and, and obviously they wanted to have a good look so they were they were testing me out and it was quite hard work so you know I, I remember training on the Thursday and it was being hard and and again on the Friday you know I, I've sub- subsequently heard these sort of things that I think I was training at one point and Des Bulpin actually called Jerry over as well and said you know come and have a look um, and and I guess they and, and the players must have been, oh, you know, a little bit, I don't know, excited or it turned their heads or whatever. Um, so, but Jerry was, he, he never, he never said anything. He kept everything very close to his yeah. chest, but said, you know, you know, you, you're up for the trial. You know, we'd like you to play the first half in this game, um, which I did. And, and I really didn't have very much to do. I can remember rolling it out a few times. Don't remember any saves or anything. Um and, and the game had finished and we'd gone into the bar and um, my mum and dad had come up and uh, my wife's mum and dad had come up um, to watch and we were all sort of milling around afterwards and we'd, we'd had a drink and everything, but nobody had said anything to us and we were kind of, right, okay, well, I suppose we just leave. And you know, we didn't know what to do really. So we, we sort of all sort of meandered out of the, out of the, um, out of the club there and then sort of Jerry comes out and running out and saying, well, well Nigel, you know, where are you going? And, and I was sort of saying, well, you know, 
I just thought that it was, you know, sort of no news was bad news sort of thing. And he went, no, 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 no. And that's when he sort of said, right, how much are you earning at the moment? So it was actually <laughs> at Forest Green. Brilliant. It was at Forest Green. So, um, I mean, that had a, its own thing because I was due to get married to Amanda um, on the 22nd of August that year. Um, and obviously the 22nd of August that year, we were away at Sunderland. Nice. Um, so this 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 was on, I think this was on Amanda's parents' wedding anniversary. So it'd be something like about the 29th, 30th of July. And I'm due to be getting married on the 22nd of August at that point. So Amanda, I, I then, well, we, went, we all went home, but I had to report for training on Monday. Um, so Amanda basically had three weeks to change the uh, wedding and get it all sorted. And so then that, the week of, of, of my debut, uh, we, we were very young. Amanda turned 18 on the 10th of August. I turned 21 on the 11th of August. I made my debut against Rotherham on the 15th of August. And we got married on the Monday, on the 17th of August. Wow. And moved away from, from Cornwall and everything we owned in the back of uh, uh, an old um, Ford Escort. So did you play against Hereford on the Wednesday as well then, which would, would have been yeah. the 19th? Yeah. So so literally like Amanda. Some week. You know, we, we, we went down on the Monday, got married, shoot, straight up. We, 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 left, we left the reception. Obviously, I couldn't drink or anything like that. Left reception. Um, really romantic honeymoon was carrying uh, everything we owned up three flights of stairs to the top flat that we managed to get um in eastville um which which at the time wasn't the greatest area in the world and um then then the next day i was in training and then we were i think it was the wednesday we were off to to hereford so yeah. you know amanda literally got taken away from comfort and everything in cornwall to this strange flat in bristol and um you know, it was it was a big it was a big deal for us at that point. Yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? Ash, you had a question? Uh, yeah, I just wondered. Obviously, everything happened very very quickly, by the signs of things. And how did you you deal with that for somebody who was to think you were twenty one at the time, um, which is quite late to come into pro football? Were you thinking like, was there any sort of doubts about it, or were you thinking, right, this is like my chance to go and and be yeah. how good I know I can be? Yeah, I was working 12, 12 hour shifts in a plastics factory, you know, <laughs> what, what, what's the worst that can happen? You know, it's like, um, I, you know, it, the, the chances are if it didn't work out for me, I'd had a go, I'd have gone back to hopefully my job if it was still there or, or I'd, I'd have done something and, and you know, we'd have, we'd, have, we'd have got married and I'd have probably have played a decent standard of football in Cornwall for the rest of my life. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, these are the things that happen. I, I definitely think there, there there have been lots of players in Cornwall that could have made a standard of of football, and the opportunity a the opportunity never happens, or b sometimes you know we're a bit weird down there. We don't want to leave the county very much, so uh, <laughs> you know I, I think that's changed now. But certainly in those times, you know, there was a reluctance to sort of move away. So, is it a bit of an untapped area then? In terms of player, players I, being scouted, I, I, I think it is. I think in, in all sports, I think you, you know you're seeing more now. Rugby players are going into. There's a few rugby players that obviously play for Cornwall, uh, sorry for England, um, and, and there's been a few cricketers that have got into county cricket. Um, you know, but sort of footballers are being pretty few and far between, really. Um, in in 
if, if you looked at the percentages. So, yeah, I think it is a bit far away. I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm guessing Argyle and, and uh, you saw Bristol Rovers, Bristol City, you know, anyone close enough down there or even Southampton must have some sort of scouting system in place there now, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, but there still doesn't seem many people coming out of it. Yeah. Morgs. Yeah, no, you just, I mean, the story is incredible. It's down in Rovers folklore forever, you know, the tea lady story. Looking at sort of how that all happened, how much of a step up was it from the sort of the levels of football you played before? I mean, we weren't the richest club in the world, never have been, never will be. But, you know, what was the sort of facilities like and the training compared to sort of where you'd come from? Um, I, for me, I, I was just full of excitement. Um, you know, it was playing professional football and that was something that, you know, may have been a little dream when you're a kid, but in, in, in reality, it, was, it, it, it just never happened to people down in Cornwall. So, it, you know, it wasn't really, a, you know, on, on the radar. So it, it was all exciting. I, I just wanted to make the most of it um, and, and work as hard as I could when I, when I was training and, and do, you know, the only sort of pressure I ever put on myself was to play as well as I can or to try my best, which isn't always good enough, but that's all you can ask of yourself. So I never really got too sort of carried away with how, you know, with feelings and things like that. For me, it was just, I love playing football. I love being in goal and diving around and getting really muddy a lot. Um, so I was just enjoying what I was doing. Um, you kind of, you think about it now, the pressures of the game and everything. But at, at that time, it was just the only pressure was to, to, to try your best every time. And that's that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 then it's then the balls in other people's court at that point. If you're if you're giving your best, you know, there were still plenty of mistakes along the way. You know, that's part of the learning curve. But, um, you know, that's you, you sort of if you prepare to work, I think you, you do improve. Absolutely. I mean. So, 15th of August, 1987, Jerry's telling you, I guess you knew the day before, maybe you knew way ahead of the time. Uh, Timmy Carter was the Rovers goalkeeper at the time. Did you know much about Rovers when you signed for them? No, no. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I, was playing, I was playing Saturdays. It would be same as everyone. You know, you look at the, well, it was the old first division it was, looking at all those results. Um, I checked Plymouth's result and that would be it really. Yeah. Um, you know, you didn't, you don't look too much outside of like maybe the top division, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and if you support somebody outside of that, you obviously look for that and that, and you know, I was no different. So, so no, I didn't know a lot about them, but obviously once, once I got there and you, you're, you're mixing with the, with the rest of the players, you, you quickly understand, you know, you filled in on things like, like, you know, whatever. And, and Tim was, well, you know, he'd had a, a you know a decent season, two seasons yeah, before, yeah. And so, I presumed he'd be playing. You know, yeah. that's that's what it was. So it was probably a big thing for Jerry to sort of say. You know, I'm guessing he would have taken Tim into you know, and I, I'd like to think that he would have and and told him, but he, he you know he didn't say to me. Um, up until I, I think like the day before because you know it was like literally a case of you know everyone's coming up from Cornwall now to come and watch and, yeah sure you know you, so. you have, it's amazing I mean it's an amazing story I mean up to the season before I mean Bobby Gore was in charge Rovers just about stayed up um, yeah. and then Jerry comes in and you know he he brought in the nucleus of the team that went on to do so well as well he brought Ollie in from Brentford 
Devon White, you picked up from Boston United on a free. Andy Reese came in. Uh, There's a lot of players, Billy Clark, a lot, lot of players that were just on that that day making it. I was just thinking, can you imagine now with the, the everyone's a football manager and and social media being what it is these days? If Rover signed somebody from like you from Sublazy, never played football league before and, and chucked him in goal for day one, it'd be it'd be, be interesting to see what the reaction would be. But so for you, it, was, it, there, was there big nerves or? Yeah, I, yes, a, a, a nervous excitement. So I, nerves are a good thing, but obviously they can overtake you in a situation. But if you're if you're nervous but excited, yeah. Uh, once the game kicked off, as daft as it sounds, I you know Amanda sort of says that I'm slightly autistic in this way. I don't get too overly um, with emotion, you know, either way. So yeah. I'm quite level-headed when it comes to being you know out there and playing you know that's that's my job and, and all I care about is winning that game and doing my best so you know that's why you, you know you'll see me if the ball goes out and we're losing I'll go sprinting to go and get the ball you yeah. know it really really matters it's it's like you're the it's like inside you feel like you're the biggest fan when when really you're being part of the team and you're just wanting to try your best to to make everyone happy and, and win the game yeah absolutely so it's a great start wasn't it you, you know you won the first game and Pep, Gary Pemrice had been converted that summer as well I mean Jerry was great at that it just changing positions of players he converted Ian Alexander from a winger into a fullback Gary Pemrice was a midfielder and now he was this outlet for the team he was fantastic um, and, and Boris and Boris was yeah. playing centre forward and he moved him out wide right uh, exactly you know, and it was just a, a really successful time uh, and Jerry was great at that. How was the dynamic between Jerry and Kenny Hibbia? Were they like a good cop, bad cop combo? Or, um, I mean, they were excellent. Jerry's one of Jerry's first um, meetings we had. He he literally put the odds up on the on a board, and we were favourites for relegation. So, you know, he was he was definitely building that sort of them against us mentality. You know, much how Mourinho is lauded yeah. for it now. Yeah. Um, Jerry, Jerry had built that sort of into us, and and you know, sort of said, you know, well, do you want to prove them right or do you want to prove them wrong? Um, and and him and Kenny, obviously, with the the you know the amount of experience and you know the level at which they both played at, had instant respect from every single member of the squad. So so really, you know, I mean, I looked at them like you know, it's it's really weird because you know maybe two years before you were watching them on the telly playing for much of the day, you know, much yeah. of the day. And it just, it, it's a really surreal situation to suddenly then be sort of in a room with them and, and working with them. So, you know, it was a case of what they said when, so, um, they, Jerry was very clever, um, at manipulating the situations in games and, and doing things, getting people running out of spaces for other people to run into, you know, Boris played wide right, but a lot of time his run, instead of being up and down, was inside. Yeah. And invariably at that level, the fullback would, would follow, which which sort of triggered either Devon or Gary to run into the channel in behind. And that was that was the ball for Jocko to stick down there. And it and it was just so simple that it was just one person moving. The fullback never moved, it was stuffed, but the fullback kept <laughs> following him and we you know, it was a real outlet for us. Yeah. Um but Jerry was very knowledgeable and, and Kenny also, um, you know, as, as any number two, he's more almost one of the players. So he's obviously that link 
to to Jerry, but you know, Jerry Jerry could be you know he could he could moan and sulk with the best of them, um, <laughs> but I think that's just a, a, a managerial sort of trait that he you know he sort of had. Um, but he, he, you know he'd let you know if he wasn't happy with you, certainly, um, which you know we all have to deal with. Absolutely, Morks. Yeah, there's a couple of things on that. I mean, that was the start of Rovers had a pretty poor defensive record previous seasons and it improved relatively quickly. So once you'd arrived and established yourself in the side, I mean, you mentioned a bit there about Jerry and Kenny and so on, the roles they played in that. I think for me, watching as a young lad at the time, you struck me very, very quickly as a very calm goalkeeper. You might not have felt like that, but that's how it looked on the outside. You know, so you never struck me that you were scrambling for position. You're always well set. You know, you always seem to cover shots really comfortably and so on. Was that something that was kind of naturally sort of ability for you or was it something you worked hard on in training? Um, I, I think it, it was na- a very natural thing for me, goalkeeping and, and sort of stopping things. What, what you then have to learn is is the sort of nuances around that. So um, I think it's important for, for your emotions to, to not go too high or too low when you're on the, on the football pitch at, at, at any time. You know, it's one of the, the sort of slight things I've got with like Jordan Pickford, for instance. If he makes a save, he's up and he's like, you know, he's full of it and, he, and his emotions are boiling over. And the same if he makes a mistake, he looks absolutely crestfallen and... and and however much it hurts you inside, as it does when you make a mistake and it costs a goal or a game, you've got to kind of try when, certainly whilst the game is on, to to exude the confidence to, to the rest of the team that, you know, it's not really affected you that much and, and whatever. So I, I, I guess that was, I was quite good at that. I was quite calm um, when, I, when, when I was out there. Um, but it, it's... It, it was a funny time because I yes I started the, the season, um, but after six games I, I remember dropping across against um, Wigan at home and we lost three two. It was the last few minutes. I come out for a cross. It was the right thing to do. It was wet, ball skidded through my hands and it went. They scored, and then the next game was Bristol City away, and and uh, I get pulled out into you know and, and Tim comes in. So that was like a bit of a. Oh my God! You know, <laughs> you know. I, 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 looking back on it, it's such clever management because you know everything had been going really well. You know, we we'd got some results and and we're probably doing slightly better than we thought we were going to do. Um, and then you know losing that game, then I think Tim came in and it was a three-all game and three-all at Ashton Gate, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he and he did reasonably well, but it was like another six games and then. Um, Jerry just pulled me to one side and said, right, you're coming back in. So I think what he'd done is probably saw that I'd made a mistake and probably just protected me from it a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'd have played the next game, made another mistake, then it starts to build and, and supporters maybe, you know, get on the back. But he just just pulled me out of that situation and then brought me back, you know, left a period of time and then brought me back. And, and probably for the first half of that season, two thirds of that season, we were... We were pr- probably just bobbling around just above relegation, probably. Yeah. Um, and then the more time we spent on the training pitch and all together, you could see the team developing and certainly defensively. You know, when, um, you know, it was Jeff and, and Vaughan at left back, Jeff and uh, Yatesy or Billy uh, centre half and Jock at right back. We, we suddenly started with, with the midfielders working really hard as well to keep the clean sheets and and with that 
then you know the, the results started coming and that's when we went on that that great run where we had was it 12 clean sheets in 13 games or something yeah. i think we went six and then lost three at preston i think it was and then went six again um before we got drubbed at brighton on the last day of the season but you know i think we'd gone from really near the bottom to to sort of about seventh or eighth in the league that year yeah. purely on on defensively being very sound yeah i, I, think- I remember vividly um it was the home game against sunderland really the 4-0 and it would i mean yeah. it's a great that was a great night uh, other than what happened to kenny hibbert um yeah but from that point onwards, you you didn't see that was for me that was like the light switch that seemed to go off in the team, and from yeah. that point onwards, you didn't really look. But you know, you lost your game, but you you won more than you lost, and you including beating City at home. You went to Ch- I don't think you won an away game either. And that season, you went to Chester and you won three 0 And again, you you just didn't seem to be able to lose. Then you just seemed to keep going and keep going. And yeah, I I, I guess winning against a team like um, Sunderland gives you that belief that you actually can do it because, yeah. you know, I mean, certainly when my, my second league game was away at Sunderland. So bearing in mind, I, you know, played my first game in front of 3,300 or whatever it was, you know, that was easily the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of. And then the next week you're at Sunderland and there was probably, I don't know, 15, 20,000 and, um, it's really exciting and it, it gets you up for football, you know, when you're playing in front of that sort of um, amount of people when you've certainly not been used to it. So, you know, I, I, I had a pretty decent game up there and I think we drew up there one all. I yeah. remember them, I think yeah. we were one little ahead for quite a while. Um, and I remember them scoring in the you, you guys will probably remember more than me. It was probably 60, 70th minute, something like that. And I remember it was a header and I remember diving, trying to save it, couldn't reach it ball goes in I've landed on the floor and the ground is shaking with the with the noise of the crowd behind wow. it's obviously at the um Roker the, yeah 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 Roker Park at the uh, the popular end so you know it, and it was like well this is really exciting you know I'm gutted we've conceded but this is what you want and and it was a bit back to the wall after that but we you know we held on and it's you know that whets your appetite for wanting more of that and and yeah. you know that's you know, that's then what we, we all we all did. Definitely. That's the day you were meant to get married, Nigel Farron and Brightly. <laughs> yeah, it was the day I should have been getting married, but Yeah, I, yeah, the earth the earth wasn't supposed to shake earlier. that way, it was supposed to shake in a different way in your wedding day. <laughs> Ashley, do you have you have a question as well? Yeah. Would you have had a goalkeeper coach at Rovers at the time? Like a specialist coach, or would it have just sort of been Roy Dolling, wasn't it? The, Roy Dolling, yeah, absolutely. Specialist <laughs> coach. Roy 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 is a lovely man. Um and he worked the absolute socks off me. So training sessions would be, you know, as, as a normal goalkeeping training session would be. Um, and in those days, the goalkeeping side of it happened after. So, you know, we'd all, we'd, Jerry would set things up and we'd, we'd be doing whatever we're doing. And then the session would finish and, and everyone would go in including me and then Roy would go right Nigel come with me and we'd have a bag of balls and he basically beast me for about I don't know any anything from half an hour to an hour of diving get up diving get up diving get up just repetition of of lots of things you know and it, it, it was knackering it was absolutely knackering and um I remember you, know, you guys obviously know Ray 
um, the kit man, yeah. Ray Kendall, yeah. was, was there. And, it, and Ray always made a beautiful pot of tea afterwards. And, and there, would, there would be sugar in it, in the pot. And it was like a sugary drink afterwards. And I can remember going in and it was probably about, a, it was a big old sort of um, teapot. And there'd be about a third of it left because the lads have had most of it. And I used to sit there and drink this sugary warm tea because I was just absolutely knackered and I needed that sugar hit because um, Roy used to absolutely kill me where you know you barely get yourself up off the floor but you know it's looking back on it it's it's um it's definitely what you need you know my, my spring improved um my overall fitness improved my handling improved it's just anything you do it's repetition of what you do yeah so a lot of what I do find goalkeeping easy um, was was coming from times at home where I didn't have anything other than a ball and a, you know a wall and then rather indoors I'd get one of those sort of power ball things um, and used to throw it above um, Mum's Rayburn and I used to kneel down on one side of the room throw it and then dive across and catch it the other side of the room and then throw it from that side across. And I used to do that for hours on my knees in, in the living room with a ball bouncing around everywhere. But the hand-eye coordination that, that I, I would have picked up from doing that over and over and over again, because it was just fun, you know, on a rainy day, you couldn't be outside. So it was what else you could do. So I think that gets you that hand-eye coordination and then the more and more work you do, the better you become at it. Yeah. So it was repetition of lots of, there'd be lots of basic stuff, but then if you don't make mistakes in the basics, the only m mistakes you kind of then make are errors of judgment and, and or errors where you don't kick the ball properly on a back pass or, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of external things that you, you know, you can't really repeat too, too often. So you know, my basics were pretty sound. And that's why most people, when they talk about me, say, yeah, you were pretty sound goalie and, you know, you didn't, you, you weren't making too many mistakes. So. No, absolutely. So that, that season ended um, relatively successfully, really, because, you know, they, Another another month, you'd have probably made the playoffs, wouldn't you? At that point, which kind of yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, which led into the, how did you find? Because your first Bristol derby then would have been at the back end of that season, and I remember that night vividly. Gary Penroy scoring, um, but how did you find the Bristol derbies? Were you did you understand the rivalry in Bristol up until you you arrived, or were you would you edu I'm like, Ian Holloway would have educated you, I'm sure, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was you're very quickly told by the players, you know, um, as as I've been when I've played in a, um, a Leeds Man United game and, yeah. a, and a and an Everton Liverpool game. You know, the the players as soon as you arrive, you know, it's it's it was huge. It was built up so much by the players themselves. You know, almost Jerry didn't have to say anything. Yeah, because um, there was quite a few Bristol lads in and around the squad and in in the team and whatever, and and it, it was important and and they were sort of saying you know, and you wanted to do it for you guys the supporters. It's like if we can give you that that result, it just how, you know how good is that? You yeah. know that's that's what you want to do. You want to your jobs are to keep your manager and your supporters on on side, and that's and that's what you try and do and. And so we, you know, we were, we were desperate to win those games. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We had a really good record against them at that point as well, didn't we? Um, the following season, um, big things, well, not big things were expected, but we ended the season really well. And that, that the main hope was that that season would would continue. Um, and the season started well, beat Wigan 3-2. And then it kind of fell off a cliff for five or six games. And we, we didn't win again until the end of September of that season. And then the side was so consistent at that point. Yeah, I, I see I, your your memory of it is a lot better than mine. Um, yeah, I, we, we seemed. I, I, I can remember towards the end of the season, it just seemed like just stick us out there, and and the performance will happen because yeah. everyone was. You know that that's the thing. The more you play together, the more comfortable you are together, and and everyone understands each other's jobs and and everything. And and I think we did really. You know we. We did really well. It was always we didn't quite have the I don't know the ability to be right at the very top. Yeah. Um, I th- I think it was I think for that that team was probably overachieving and getting some very good coaching. Um, and and when you got somebody like Ian Holloway in 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 your team, you kind of everyone sees him now and how passionate he yeah. is about football and things, and you see him as a manager and. You know, over the years, we've all seen it, but we had that when he was a player. He was like that as well. So he was always driving you on, always um, wanting more from you. Um, and he was he was the perfect on-field captain, if you like. If if, if Jonah Jonah was great as well, Vaughan was 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 a good, you know, a good captain as well. But Ollie was the the heartbeat and and uh, the one that was really really expecting and trying to drive us on all the time. You know, if we were losing the game, it was him that was come on, you know, let you know yeah. get this sorted. Um, and and you know it, he was he cares passionately about about football, but obviously about um, Rovers as well. Yeah, Morg, do you have a question? Yeah, Nigel, we we talked a bit that Vaughan Jones and Stevie X about this on a previous pod and. The home form at that time was re- really solid as well. We had some big wins, 4-1 against Chester, 5-1 against Huddersfield. We had a really important win against City, 1-0 in the January. How much of a factor was Twerton Park? I mean, not the most salubrious of settings, but how much of an advantage was that for the Rovers at that time, do you think? I, I think it was huge. You know, I, I, I can remember going in there right up until I was sold, really feeling excited about playing a game of football. Um, I, I don't think perhaps clubs from, you know, who deem themselves to be or bigger or have better facilities, they look down on you and and there's nothing worse because we were we were probably awkward and a bit nasty to play against. So, you know, we you know, you they'd come there, they wouldn't fancy it. You know, the, the day we beat Sunderland, I mean they trashed the place, you know, because they they, you know, they were a first division club if you like yeah. playing in the third division with great facilities and everything and uh, and you know suddenly they come to a you know twerk and trumpton as everyone like to call it <laughs> and and i mean they trashed their their um, dressing room they trashed it you know it's like you know you know, shouldn't even be playing here it was their sort of attitude so it was it was an advantage um and that's all part of i think what jerry sort of created with that sort of them against us mentality you know we've got nothing we've you know we're, we're we've got no money. We're we're having to play in this place. You know the, the kit's rubbish. You know yeah. <laughs> everything about it was bad. But he said, you you know for for you guys to be able to do something about that and show people is you know is is clever. And and he Ollie was a great 
um, signing really in the way of getting the team spirit. But the team spirit was there. You know, it was a lot of a lot of people that, that have been brought together, all you know, having either their first or their last chance in football, really, and wanted to do something about it. Yeah, yeah, you, you could go through the whole team like that, can you? You got Jeff Twentyman who played consistently at Preston, and then suddenly. I remember him telling me that he thought he was going to be playing at Eastfield and he ended up playing at Twerton, uh, which was not what he signed up to do originally. Um, you got no. Andy Reese, who was a who was a car a tire fitter, I think, in, up in Warsaw. Um, so yeah, so there was lots of lots of you. It was like a bunch, yeah, a bunch of hardy men, I, I guess, just all yeah. chucked together all, in, in all a melting pot and and see what comes out the other end. But at what point of that season did you think actually we got a real chance here of, of hitting that playoff spot? Um, I, I, I think the belief came from the run at the end of the previous season. So, you know, to to probably not get the start we wanted may have been a bit of a shock to us as well. Yeah. So, um, I think I think the determination to make something of it because you you kind of get a feeling, and it's it's not a feeling you have that often in football that you're going to actually do something. Yeah. And and that feeling was around the club at that time. Um, and you know, we just we we felt that you know we could could do something, and and you know, getting promotion would have been the ultimate thing for us to do. Yeah, certainly. Um, it's people of my age, uh, Rovers got relegated out of the old second division in seventy nine eighty, and, it, and it's taken sort of that length of time really to get a side that looked capable of really bouncing back. They had some good sides in the early eighties under David Williams. Um, and then Rovers went for a really rocky period when they had to move out of Bristol, and and this was the first first real shoot in signs that, that we were going to force our way back. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that season uh, ended unbelievably. You know, you went on Jerry quite often went on runs, didn't he? We'd win a few, and then he'd also go on runs when he'd lose a few as well. Um, yeah, was that a tougher time on the training ground when he was on? How was Jerry in terms of? He's on a, a run. He quite often would lose three or four in a row, or not win for five or six. Was he was he different around that period? Um, I I definitely would say he'd be grumpier. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, but but having said that, he wasn't he wasn't sort of bouncing off the walls if we won. You know, he, yeah. he'd smile or you know there'd be there'd be something, but he wasn't he wasn't huge with his praise. Um, you know. Maybe if you beat Bristol City, you know he'd be. He, that's probably as animated as you saw him because he'd be in the get in there and, and yeah. you know be really happy about that. But um, more often than not, if you won a game, he would also. He, he, he reminds me a lot of George Graham because George was like this. George would, if I'm playing at Leeds, and um, George used to hammer myself, the two centre halves and the centre forwards. Every every game, so at halftime you come in and go, you know, I I might have felt I'd had a really good half and made five six good saves, and he'd say, "You're kicking today. What's wrong with it?" He'd have a right go at you, and you're like, "Oh," um, but he knew if his goalkeeper, two centre halves, and strikers play well, you, you, that's your team performance there, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in in a, in a lot of respects, so he knew the people he had to keep on that to get, and and Jerry was the same in the respect of. He wasn't. He would never go overboard with his praise, which, which I think is is the way to go because it's difficult to to come back. You know, you always need a bit more space to go one way or the other, really. Yeah. Um. So, so he never he never told you, 
ultimately that he was ecstatically happy with you on the flip side of it he would never sort of say you know you're never going to play for the club again sort of scenario yeah. you know he's very very much in the middle and, and kept quite calm most most of the time good stuff Morgs you mentioned there, uh, Nigel, that uh, Jerry got excited when we beat Bristol City, like all of us do, and that's the right reaction. Uh, two things on that. Can you talk us through the uh, penalty save from Rob Newman that season? And f- if I've got my uh, research right, I don't think you ever lost against Bristol City. Have I got that right? I I can't remember ever losing against Bristol City. Um, four overs, think, at least. Four overs, I mean. Yeah, for, uh, yeah no, I, did, I think I did for Crystal Palace. <laughs> we played in Sorry. the cup not long after, and I got pelters down there, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I I can't remember ever losing there. And what I remember somebody describing me as a pasty-faced Cornishman when I I can't remember where this is from, but it, I remember saving that penalty, um, and and it being described, and then the pasty-faced Cornishman happened to guess the right way on the penalty or something <laughs> which i can't remember what that was what, what that was on or what that was in um but it was uh it, it, it makes you laugh because i mean i think did, did we win that game 2-1 or one eight yeah and so it's 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 like as long as you don't lose them at the end of the day you want to win them desperately and and you know i think we won at ashton gate 1-0 yeah, didn't we, we did, yeah. that's right was it an early kickoff or a bank holiday it's, or something? It's New Year's Day. It was New Year's Day. New Year's Day. Yeah. I, I knew there was something. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember not having a lot to do. The lads playing really well. And then I think we nicked the goals. It Devon got us a goal. And, and the only thing they had, they had the Scottish, blonde-haired Scottish lad up front. And I can't trying to remember his name. And, and I remember him trying to dribble around me with about two or three minutes to go. And I man, remember reading where he was going to go and, and getting it and sort of taking off his feet and thinking, you know, that, that save means that we're going to win now. And, yeah. and, it, and they're, they're, they're great feelings because, you know, you go to Ashton Gate and as the goalie, you get a clean sheet. You're absolutely elated. We get a goal. Um, and, and, and they're great celebrations for us. You know, yeah, it was a great to, day. To win as well. You know, it's, you, know you guys are out, you know, Clearing it up, and and, and for a, for a lot for a lot of times, you know, after after games, we got good results. You know, it was um, you know if, if we could go and find a pub somewhere, we we would. You know, we'd go and have a few beers and whatever. And quite often, the fans were in there, so you know, it was perhaps on home games not so much, but on away games sometimes we'd come back and the bus would go into the training ground, and then we'd all go off. I can't remember the name of the pub now we used to go to, but it was like. 10, 15 minutes from the training ground and we used to go, go there. So and Vaughan, Vaughan was telling us the other week that there used to be a pub that was owned by one of the directors that you you strategically would have team like team building events, but you'd all, effectively, you guys were just going off to have a few drinks, effectively. Yeah, get laughed, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Yatesy was saying, yeah, yeah. Yatesy was on his coke. Um, so you yeah. always felt a little bit on the, on the outer edge of that one. But, I mean, the team spirit was... I mean, you had some amazing days in that season. You got called up to the England under-21 side as well that, some, that season. Um, how did that come about? Was that a surprise? Were you, were you aware they were yeah. watching you? Or? That was that was not on my horizon whatsoever. You know, it wasn't something I was uh, I was thinking about. Sorry, it's my phone. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> no, um, it, it was not... No, it was not, nothing on the horizon whatsoever. I mean, it was literally... Jerry would um, 
Jerry would uh, he he was he was the reason that I got you know got into that. I think his um, sort of telling Dave about me and then you know getting in and, and again that's bizarre because you're suddenly then mixing with you know the best young players in the country and probably I don't know I don't know too many others that weren't playing you know in the first division really yeah. at that time it was so uh, when you definitely a surprise because you were yeah, effectively a third division player weren't you so yeah so. yeah um, you know and it was he, it, I can remember turning up and um, the other goalkeeper was from Millwall. I'm trying to remember his name now, and that's going to bug me. Um, and and because he was from Millwall, everyone just expected him to be the goalkeeper in the game. And I remember we, we we both turned up, and and he was like a really really overconfident Cockney lad. Right. And then you've got the real <laughs> the real quiet sort of country bumpkin from Cornwall. You know, who's playing third division and kind of knows his place, if you like. And we go there and. That was really when a first time that I noticed I could, I was, you know, when you put yourself up against someone, you're training together. I was actually felt like I was doing better than him. And it was, it was like, it was a bit strange. So I'm thinking, well, he's, he's at Millwall and they're in the first division at the time. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at Rovers and, you know, I was expecting him just to be automatically a lot better perhaps than, yeah. than, than he actually was. And then, you know, sort of playing, um, I, I remember playing, I think a half in, or was it the full game in Switzerland? We played in Switzerland, I think it was my first game. And it's, A, it's really bizarre to be going to a different country to play, you know. Um, but but the, those sort of meetups were, were really weird. And then that summer, I think it was, I played in the Tournoi in France. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was the likes of Gaza, um, Michael Thomas, you know, there was some some really top um, Premier League, well, first division players at that time were, were, were playing in that under-21s and we, we lost in the final to a French team that included um, Ginola, Deschamps, um, Cantona and probably and probably quite a few others. You don't realise it at the time yeah. when, you're, when you're playing. So, um, And I got goalkeeper of the tournament in that. So that obviously then sort of, I think that England under 21 thing was the thing that really sort of maybe got me on the sort of horizon with with um with other clubs really. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um other standout performances in that season was winning at Wolves who were unbeaten. Uh, and Dennis Bailey came in, didn't he? That that party for that season as well. Yeah. And was yeah, terrific, wasn't he? It was terrific. Yeah. Uh, just give you yeah, that little bit of springboard. Yeah. I mean, and such a nice guy as well. Yeah. You know, it's you know, some some guys that you you meet in in football that you think are proper what's it's or whatever. But Dennis was just lovely, yeah, and a really nice guy, and he he just smiled at, at all the time. And you know, he'd score a goal, and you could see the joy in his face, and everyone was really happy for him because he was so so nice as well. So he, he was obviously a, a, a you know a good in, you know injection of goals for us at that time. Um, but that Wolves game was 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 pretty good because I think then. At that time, they were probably about the top side in the in the in the league at yeah. that point, and Steve Ball was rattling goals in. And I remember we had to go in on a Sunday and do some training because it was it, it was the bank holiday Monday we played, and we were in on the Sunday. Um, so I think we played the Saturday in on the Sunday, and then we played the Monday again or something. It was it was a pretty quick turnover, and um, you know, going up there and and Jeff and and 
Jeff Twentyman and um, Yates, he kept him really, really quiet and Vaughan as well. And, you know, the, the, the chances that he did get, I managed to get something on it as well. And yeah. then you got a nicker 1-0 win. And it was it was a really, really good all-round performance because, you know, everybody played really well that day, which we had to do because, you know, they were, they were probably the top side. The yeah, Jeff was great again. I mean, I don't think Steve Ball ever got much out of Jeff Twentyman, actually. No, no, and 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 Jeff. A lot of it was was his experience. You know, he he knew when to sort of fight and battle with him and and do everything and win that. But also when you know players, you know, if their midfielder got the ball, he automatically knew the ball was going to be over the top. And Jeff wasn't necessarily the quickest player in the world, but he's an intelligent guy, and he knew that he, you know, if if, if the ball was bouncing, it was going to be knocked forward. He'd drop off. Yeah, you know, because he knew the, where the threat was always going to be over the top, and he knew that Bull had pace, so he, he had to give himself that head start. So, you know, that's where sometimes football intelligence, you know, come comes into it. And and Jeff was was he's an experienced guy, so he, he knew, you know, probably his own weaknesses and what they wanted to exploit for for Steve Bull and tried to nullify it to you know to the best of his ability, which he did. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ash, got a question. Yeah, who was the um, you're talking there about how good Jeff Twentyman was? But who was the best player you played with at Rovers? Do you reckon? <sighs> Put you on the spot now. Bill. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is. I mean, I mean, Vaughan was a very good footballer. Vaughan Jones was a really good footballer, um, and again, a very you know one of the senior players, very experienced. So he he would always give you a really good performance. Jeff did the same. Um, Ian Holloway was was you know, worked his socks off every single game and, and and had a little bit extra perhaps at that level as well. So he was probably our our best all round footballer. Obviously Penny's goals um and his all round play. Um, you know, that's that's why he you know he plays in the first division as well. Um that was that was Penny was great. Percy was brilliant. On his day, you know, he was probably the best winger in the league. Mm. You know, he'd, he'd, I think, more at home than away. Um, you know, I think on away games, he'd get kicked a bit more and not get the fouls that perhaps he might get at home games when, when you know, the supporters are all up in the air because, you know, the, you've kicked our winger again. You yeah. know, you used to get decisions off that. And 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 so Purse was always, um, always, always up there as one of our better players as well. I always thought Percy did better because we invariably were second half we were going towards the old uh, the bath end and the popular side Percy used to play alongside as well didn't he and I always yeah. thought that always got the best out of him always without fail uh, back end yeah. of that season um, obviously playoffs were, playoff place was assured um, ironically it was a night that you lost at Port Vale but the playoff place was assured uh, and then the playoff was, was unreal wasn't it going to Fulham beating Fulham at home in the first leg by that odd goal and then going yeah. to Fulham, and that night was incredible. Yeah, that was that was that was the performance you'd like to have saved for Wembley, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> or, or not Wembley, or the, the, final, know, the final. Yeah, yeah. the I... final. It was it was um, yeah, it was as good a performance as we'd um, as we'd had. I think that was the first time I ever got booked as well um, in that game because Big Doug Rugby stepped on Devon. Um, they had a corner, and the two of them challenged, and Devon went on the floor. And Big Doug managed to, um, a few seconds after landing himself, then managed to stamp on Devon as well. I remember seeing it, and you know when you see one of your teammates sort yeah. of 
something like that, that happened to them and and I got apparently I got I got booked and it, when it came through it was a, adopting an aggressive behavior right which which I wasn't really in that renowned for <laughs> having having much of it but I remember him getting stepped on and it, you'd have to be pretty stupid to be aggressive with Doug as well I would imagine he was a big yeah, lad wasn't he yeah well I, I, I've, I've got I've, I've got a few cases of that I uh for, I got. I remember getting punched in the face by Billy Whitehurst. Have you heard okay. of Billy Whitehurst? Yeah, I do. Right. Yeah. So Big Billy punched me in a game as I was collecting a ball over the top. I got there first. He sort of bundled into me and gave me a little short arm jab to the face. So I get up wanting to fight him, and then um, <laughs> yeah, it all gets pulled apart and whatever. Game finishes. Um, I've got Eric Young and Andy Thorne, the two centre halves, going, What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? The guy will kill you. And I said, Well, I don't know. He punched me, you know. I'd never heard of him before. So um, after the game, it was at Sheffield United. We'd beaten them 1 0, and I'd had a good game. And it was, it was still in the days where you'd go in the bar afterwards and have a pint. And I remember they're having a pint. I got a tap on the shoulder, and it was Billy, and he was with Vinnie Jones. And the pair of them were stood there, and he went, Come on then, big man. Let's carry it on now. Amazing. And I was like, "Do you know what? You're all right." Yeah, right. I think give it a mess. <laughs> I, I'd calmed down somewhat. I'd, I'd had plenty of warnings from my teammates not to get involved with this guy, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, sort of left with the tail between my legs pretty quickly. That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> uh, but so, Big Doug would have been another one not to have got too involved with. Uh, I asked Vaughan this question. I'll ask you the same question. That night at Fulham, do you think you? You peaked that night, and then the playoffs were just that that step too far. The um, final. I, I I don't know. It it was. I, I remember the home game against Port Vale, and it was a it was a warm, windy, horrible day for playing football. It wasn't the greatest day, and the pitch was was rip, like ultra dry and ultra bobbly, and it, yeah. it just made it really difficult to play our type of football on. Yeah. Which, which was a shame because that was our home game. And I think the same thing had happened in the home game against Fulham and we just scraped it. Yeah. But then when we went to play on the better pitch, we actually had a better performance. So I think the home game was probably, if we could have, if we could have nicked that, um, you know, I think we would have, we'd have done it. Um, but obviously them getting the draw, that it just put them in a better position. I mean, they did have some good players at that time. They were a good well, side, so. weren't they? They were a good side. Yeah, they were. And, and then we went up there and, they battered us, really, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> if, if we're being honest, we, you know, we probably had a couple of chances, but as I remember, they 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 battered us on the day, and and we just couldn't, you know, as long as we could hold out and nil nil, that that was that yeah, was the, it came quite late, did it? It was always, it was always coming, wasn't it? I think. So, yeah. So we move on to your eventual last season with Rovers. Um, and you know, you're obviously making a bit of a name for yourself. You've been away with England under twenty ones. Um, did you kind of have a feeling? How you know? How aware were you of interest? There was a lots of rumours mooted, and you were you seemed you and Penny seemed to be rumoured to be going everywhere. I, I seem to remember that Liverpool were looking at you, and Rangers were looking at you, and all sorts of clubs were looking at you. How aware of that it, were you? Um, not very. A, I didn't have an agent, so there was never any any direct sort of. Um, contact with anyone so normally an agent would say you know do you fancy this move basically yeah um is sort of what happens uh so i didn't have an agent so there was none of that um 
yes, I saw saw it in the. Um, I think it was in the Sun, wasn't it? Kenny's yeah. pair of Bristol's. That's right. I was just yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Was, was the uh, you know we're saying about Liverpool were interested, and that was the first time when it became in the press, and then fans ask you about it, and I was sort of like, and players, and I was going, I don't know, I haven't heard anything, you know, nothing's nothing's been said. Jerry hadn't said anything. Um, but um, I, I think that that Bristol City game where I saved the penalty. Um, I, I, I remember because Amanda was telling me she said you saved the penalty and, and everyone got up and cheered and she was like going mad like one of them and Steve Coppel was just along from her and uh, she, she obviously knew who he was but didn't know who he was there to watch and then she went you know when she said, oh no last time I saw him I was jumping up and down like an idiot yeah. <laughs> That's you know? so um, yeah it was I, I was completely unaware of it. And then the more it grew, um, I remember Jerry saying to me, you probably need to get yourself an agent because it looks like something's going to happen. Yeah. And I was going, oh my God, you know, and, and Jerry Gate recommended a couple of agents to me and I was like really, not that I was just very wary of agents. They seem to be like, you know, people that, I didn't necessarily want to be mixing with really. And, and, and I went and spoke to Jeff Twentyman and Jeff was the one that um, said, well, the PFA can do it for you. And that's, you know, they're, they're your union and they'll go and do the best sort of thing for you. Yeah. Um, so when, so when it came to um, then Jerry telling me that, you know, they've accepted a bid and it was really strange because they've accepted a bid and you've got to go kind of thing. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Looking at it now, I could have turned around and gone, Actually, I don't want to go or whatever, you know. But it was it was it was like I was being told I had to go, and and that was kind of how I felt. Yes, obviously you're excited, and it's a chance to play in the in the first division, and and you wouldn't turn that down anyway. But no. um, it, it it was all very strange, um, and it all happened really quickly because I got I think I just got into the B team right at the same time, and I think I, I played the B game. And then the next day, I we sort of stuck. It was in Brighton. We played the B game in Brighton, and the next day we stayed up there and we travelled to um, Ron Notes's house. Um, Ron was the chairman at, at Palace, yeah. and we travelled to his house somewhere in I want to say Buckinghamshire. I'm not I haven't got a clue where yeah, it was to no, be honest. Chelfont St Peter, it was, but where it is, I don't know. <laughs> um, and um, you know, sort of met Steve and had a chat with Steve. And then um, Brendan Batson did my deal for, for the PFA. Um, you know, obviously, Roverside, they'd sorted that long before it was just me. And and we, we'd gone in, Amanda and myself, and they'd made the offer. And I remember we, we were writing down, right, electricity, gas, <laughs> you know, going through all our bills and what the expenses and everything was. And all this, and we were sort of ten minutes talking it through with Brendan Batson, who must have been shaking his head, going, "You know what are these two like?" But <laughs> it was just how we were and how we were brought up. So, um, and then Ron, Ron comes storming in, and Ron, you know, was was a, a businessman and not really that patient a guy, and he's come in and go, "What's wrong with that deal? It's a great deal. You should be signing it and all that." And, and Amanda's got a tea on her or on her cup and you can hear it shaking <laughs> <laughs> so bless her heart so brendan he, he just said wrong give us another five minutes and you know, you know 
So he's gone out again and, and Brendan went, I think you'll be okay. You know, you'll be able to buy a house and be able to afford your bills. So we were like, okay, <laughs> all right. So we, we just kind of just signed and that, that was it. it. It's really strange because you do that. And then um, I had all my boots and all my gloves and everything with me because I played in the, uh, the B game. And it's really strange because you don't go back. You know, the next day I'm reporting at Crystal Palace. Yeah. So you don't go back. I don't. You don't see your teammates. You don't see. It's a really. So you didn't really get a chance a really to say strange, goodbye. Yeah. It is a real strange one. You know, I mean, the, I mean, the money for the club was was brilliant, and that was that was Jerry's sort of business head. Sort of, it, it, I think he just wanted to put a figure on that said, basically, don't touch. And and I think football was just going in that way that money was coming in so much that suddenly people could touched the amount that yeah. he sort of put. And so, you know, for for him then to, you know, from Jerry's point of view, you know, it's good money for me and Penny and, and you know, replacement is going to be hard. But I think, I think, I think if I'm po- perfectly honest, I think they struggled to, to replace Penny more than me because I think Brian did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, speaking to the lads <laughs> afterwards, they were all really, you know, they were all really impressed with him. So yeah, he was a good keeper, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, your last game was away at Shrewsbury. Did you know yeah. prior to that that day that you, that was going to be it? Because you you seem to I, I be saying be goodbye. Talking, yeah. At the end of that I, game, well, was, I knew, obviously, I obviously knew I was going to be talking to Palace that day, uh, or or after that game. So. I kind of guess you do know it's your last game unless anything goes wrong. Yeah. So it, it was really, it was really bizarre, and um, it was a strange game. Was that when all the Weetabix, Weetabix, Weetabix got yeah. thrown on the pitch? And all, <laughs> what was all that about? That's a bit of an old. <laughs> that's a bit of an old tradition. I don't. Does, do either of you two know that the actual story behind the Weetabix? I do, I know the story behind the Weetabix. Go on, then. Go on. Um, it's a bloke from from Kingswood where I was from. Uh, they had a guy. If I got this right, they had a guy on their coach who was pissed, to put it politely, and I think he was told to sober up by the old Bill before he could get in. Um, and they all gave him a bit of money from a wit round, and he went to the supermarket and he bought a load of Weetabix, which obviously you can't eat because it's dry. <laughs> um, and when he got into the stadium after he'd sobered up, he was just left with all this sort of Weetabix, and he it started getting thrown on the pitch. And if I remember reading this right, because I read this last week on a Rovers Facebook group, that at Shrewsbury, the police box was at the other end of the pitch. Um, and they thought that the Rovers fans were throwing bricks at the Shrewsbury <laughs> goalkeeper. So they all come storming like the police box down to the other end of the pitch on horses and everything to get there and find that it. it was just a load of pissed up blokes chucking Weetabix around singing, <laughs> we're the famous Bristol Rovers and we've got Weetabix or something like that. <laughs> Which, um, I remember going, I remember my first ever trip to Shrewsbury away. I was probably about 12 and the bloke in the pub said to me, oh, you, you've got to take some Weetabix. And I was like, what? He said, no, but Shrewsbury away, you've got, you've got to take Weetabix. And I remember being searched on the way in for Weetabix by the Shewards, which I just thought was absolutely mental. So what you may not know, Nice, to this day, Rovers fans, when they play away at Shrewsbury, they still take Weetabix with them. Oh, brilliant. So, oh, uh, fantastic. So, oh, I love things like that. Yeah, 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 you probably probably wouldn't, you know, because you left. And, 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 but anyway, yeah, you know yeah, what? I mean, yeah, every, everything changes from my perspective then, because then you've got a new club and you're just focusing on everything yeah. there. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was still looking at results and... Um, you know the the Wembley thing. I I I did I did um, radio 
it's Radio Radio Bristol, I think it was. And um, I, I did Radio Bristol with with um, for the game. And then afterwards, they were supposed to get a car to get me back, and the car just never arrived. Oh, okay. And I ended up getting on the team bus and going back to the team hotel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we we actually stayed that night, and uh, we didn't have a change of clothes, me or Amanda. And it was uh, it was a uh, you know the the next day when you're you're sobering up and you're having to put a suit back on, that you know your shirts all the, creased the, and probably covered the, in beer. The walk of like, shame, oh. yeah, absolutely. So how did it feel so, being the first one million pound goalkeeper in the world? You know, it's an obvious question for you. A is yeah, I guess I it was mean, a massive honour, but I it is, and I, I'm I'm quite proud of it now. At the time, not my valuation. Yeah, you know, at the time that was a lot of money for for it was a, it was a risk, I guess. You know, to for a third division player that sort of money for a goalkeeper um, was was a huge risk. Um, you know, looking looking now, when you see them, I don't know what, what was the Chelsea goal about sixty million. Yeah, I think I think people have realised that goalkeepers are really important part of your team, and you need you need a sound one. Really, you know, you don't necessarily need one that's performing brilliance all the time. You know, it's about how good a, a steady goalkeeper you can get, and and they're not that you know, there's not that many of them around, and that's why you know team struggled for them at times. So I think football at that time probably was just starting to realise, you know, how important goalkeepers were really to to your team. And and it started getting reflected in the in the prices, you know, yeah. that, that were charged for them. Yeah. So seven years at Palace, you, you know, you you kind of gone from St Blasey to Bristol to the FA Cup final in about three and a bit years. Yeah. And, and and playing, you know, playing for England and things like that, it's it's totally bizarre. My first England call up um It's ninety two, wasn't it? Uh that was my that was my debut. I, my first call up was in nineteen ninety. Right, okay. So it was just after the World Cup in nineteen ninety. Um I was called into Graham Taylor's first squad. And I was rooming, so we went to Burnham Beach's hotel. You arrive, oh, hi there, you know, give your name on reception. Yeah, okay, you're in room so-and-so. Oh, the other player is already in the room, so the key's gone. Just not, you know, knock on the door. So I knock on the door and it's Gary Lineker is is my room (laughs) partner. And and I can remember, you know, I've watched him play, you know, World Cups in 86 and 90. You know, he's a household name. Yeah. And it's, and suddenly, you know, I go in there and, and, I'm in a room with him and it's like, you know, you're starstruck. Absolutely. You know, whatever. And, I, and I've gone, Oh, hi. And he went, Oh, how you doing? He said, you know, that's your bed. Just chuck your bag down anywhere. And I'll have milk and two with my, my tea. And I literally just dropped the bags and I started to go and make him a cup of tea. And he went, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> it was just purely, you know, it, it's just how, you know, I, I, you're kind of looking up to these people, same as anyone else, you know, watching them on match of the day, watching them play for England. And three years down the line, you're, you're in a room with them. It, it's, it is very bizarre. Did it take you a while uh, to get used to being in that surroundings? You know, cause with, yeah. within sort of three or four months of leaving Rovers, you're in the FA Cup final. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was okay at like at Palace, um, you know, that level, you know, because you they become your teammates and and you know they become friends. So you're 
you, you, you kind of, as long as you're keeping them happy and your manager happy, you know, you're comfortable with them. With England, I, I, I found for a long time, just found it very bizarre. You know, I didn't, I didn't really mix in too much. You know, it was when, obviously when you had to go to training, I'd go to training, but I'd be nervous about going to training. Um, you know, when you got spare time, I used to sit in the room and watch the telly and whatever, you know, and not really mix with people because it just didn't, yeah. just didn't feel right for me at the time. And so um, it, it was it was quite strange. But obviously, latterly, once you, I guess once you feel like you, you've earned the right to be there by, you know, playing in the first division or Premier League for quite a few years and you, you become established. But when I first got in there, I, I definitely didn't feel... Um, probably that I belong there really. Yeah, us. yeah, I guess so. Morgs? Yeah, we were talking before you came on, Nigel, just about the, the goalkeepers that were around England at that time. Do you feel like you perhaps deserved more caps than you got? Or, you know, do you feel like you came along perhaps at a time where there was a great competition for, you know, some very good goalkeepers? I also mentioned to Ash and Brimo before we started about, I wonder whether you suffered because, for example, Seaman, who's clearly a great goalkeeper, but he was also the Arsenal goalkeeper. Do you think all those factors might have maybe limited your caps a little? I possibly, um, you know, certainly people when I was playing at Leeds, a lot, you know, the, a lot of the supporters there were, were, you know, couldn't believe that I wasn't playing for England more. But the, the, the thing that I can only say is Dave never let England down. You know, it wasn't like he was playing badly. He might have the old bad game for Arsenal or whatever, but, you know, that would happen with me at Leeds as well. But when he played for England, he never seemed to have a bad game. You know, he was always just really, he was a bit like myself. He was very calm, um, but, he, you know, he was an excellent goalkeeper. So I think I think when I look at it, I, I think we look at our great goalkeepers and, and you look at your, your, your Gordon Banks and Peter Shilton, and I put Dave there as well. Mm. And, I, and I think the rest of the goalkeepers we've had that have played for England have been very good goalkeepers at that level, you know, very, very good goalkeepers, but they're not the, the greats. Mm. And I think if you happen to coincide with a great, that's when you, you get limited chance. And I think, you know, when Gordon Banks got his 60 odd or whatever, you know, and then Peter Benetti kind of succeeded him, but Ron, Ron Springer, I think was, a, was the, like the reserve goalkeeper around at that time. And um, he was at Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, I think in Everton and, or Gordon West was at Everton, and they barely got any caps because sure. you know Gordon Banks played. But um, and then when Schultz was there, obviously Schultz got 125, and obviously Ray Clements got 60. So at that point they were sharing, and then afterwards it was Chris Woods that had to wait, and Woodsy only ended up with 30. And then it was the changeover when Chris went. It was really between me and Dave, mm -hmm. and at that time I got relegated with Crystal Palace. So at that point in 93, 94, when Chris Woods finished and we didn't qualify for the World Cup in 94, for yeah. the World Cup in 94, um, Crystal Palace got relegated that year. So Dave automatically got the spot sure. um, and I wasn't even in the squad. So it was um, Tim, Tim Flowers and Ian Walker were the other two goalies. So then probably 94 to the 96 season, were you know those three goalies so it wasn't then until i went got back in uh went went to leeds and yeah. um you know started doing well at leeds that i then got back into the squad um for the 96 97 season so um 
it was it was it was timing wasn't brilliant and then with Dave's emergence and and whatever yes he was playing at Arsenal yes the the way George sets his teams up are lovely you get some great stats when you play for a George Graham team as a goalie <laughs> um but you know I, 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 I can't, however much I want to, <laughs> begrudge him of, of the fact because he he was a great goalkeeper, and um, you know it's it, I can never wish him to. I don't want him to play badly. It's really difficult. I don't want him to play badly because it means England lose or whatever. Yeah, and I don't want him to get injured because that's just wrong thing to do. So the only thing that I could want maybe is if he did make a few mistakes, but we still won the game. <laughs> that's kind of the <laughs> only way I could I could get in. Um, but you know, I, I I got some opportunities, you know, when he was injured and, and friendlies and things like that. So, you know, I did I did play. Obviously, you know, we'd all we'd all like to have more, but you know, I got twenty three. So, you know, it's it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we were singing England's number one at here from the popular side at Twerton all those years ago. So we knew what we were talking about. Night. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great <laughs> knowledge. Absolutely. Do you think yeah, you should have so. left? In hindsight, do you think you possibly stayed at Palace a year too long then? In terms of the fact they went down and it may have hindered you a little bit. Yeah, I, I yeah, I wasn't. It's a difficult one, I know, but yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't great at sort of kicking up and yeah. causing a fuss and things like that. So I didn't want to rock the boat in that way. Um, I know, I know a few players. You know, obviously, once the Palace team, you know, we finished third in the old First Division. Um, and then, and won the ZDS Cup, which was which was really you know a really strong side. And then after that, you know they sell Ian Wright and Jeff Thomas, and, and you know the better players are getting sold. And then the team start going downhill, and then suddenly relegation happens. And it's it was the more senior players were were the ones that went at that time. Yeah. Um, but then we got promoted back the very next year. You know we we got promoted back as champions, and then relegated again and that I mean that that was the time you know I, my agent said look you need to you know if you want to play in the Premier League you need to go there now and, and get back so he was sort of putting feelers out but there wasn't anybody you know everyone was like really settled with their goalies at that time mm-hmm. so um, I did another season down in, in what is it down the championship and we lost in the playoff final to Leicester and I literally at that point thought that's it that's my my sort of time over really or any chance of it of playing Premier League again you know I, I really thought that's what that's what would happen and then I signed a new contract for the start of the next season and literally just just after I signed it um, Everton came in for me yeah um, and I'm driving up the road to to go and sign for Everton and then I get a call to say Leeds have matched the bid we'll go and talk to Leeds as well so we arrive at Everton and, and the first thing my agent, who then you know said to them, um, by the way, Leeds have matched the bid, so we're going to go and talk to Leeds afterwards. And the guy just went, oh, okay, well, if you want to get to Leeds, you want to leave now before the M62 gets too busy. So And he gave us directions. <laughs> it was really <laughs> and we got over to Leeds and they were like, no way they were going to let me go back. So, um, That's amazing. you know, it's... Uh, there's a, there's a director at uh, Everton who, who gets absolutely hammered for that story because obviously once I do sign for Everton about another six or seven years later, yeah, um, you know, I, they were in the last sort of two or three years in you know playing, but you know they were still it was still a good time and and the supporters really took to me and yeah. that was 
you know, they want, they sort of said, you know, how good it would it have been if we'd have got you in 96, you know, you could have done probably, you know, 10 years with us, but yeah, that's just how it is. So Leeds was a really successful time for you. I mean, you were part of a, a really good Leeds side as well, weren't you at that stage? Yeah. I mean, it, it developed. I mean, I know David O'Leary gets all the, all the glory for it. It was definitely George's team. Yeah. George, George is the one that set it up and made us difficult to beat. Um, and then was just starting to add, you know, he, he started playing Harry Kuehl, Jonathan Woodgate was just coming in. Um, so the team was just starting to take shape and then um, he got a chance to go and manage Tottenham. He always wanted to go back to London. So um, he probably couldn't go back to Arsenal without paying a load of money back, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so, he, you know, he... he Tottenham probably the next best club or Chelsea that he could have gone to. So, yeah. you know, he went to Tottenham and, and we lost him and that was, we thought that was going to hurt us. But then David comes in um, at the time there was, there was a quite a bit of investment around. So we started buying, you know, top quality players and, and that team was a, a really good sign. Yeah. Um, you know, it got very, very close to being, you know, the best in the country, but um the same thing happens, you know, as players, you're not aware, but, you know, the overspend was, was huge. And, and, you know, the, the ramifications of not qualifying for a Champions League one year and all the bricks come tumbling down. Yeah, it's a tough time out there, definitely. But, um, sorry, Ash, you got a question? Yeah, I think that that Leeds team, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I think that Leeds team you played in is probably the best premiership side I've seen not win something. Um, why do you think you, you couldn't get over the line? What do you think? Because I remember even seeing you on European nights. I think yourself um, in Rome, Roma, you had the game of your life there. Um, and I remember just thinking, like, this team's something special and you just could never seem to, to quite get there. Why do you think that was? Um, well, there were, there, were, there were two other sides that were slightly better and, <laughs> and were slightly more used to it. So, you know, Arsenal and, and United, well, United probably a little bit more than Arsenal would had won it a few times and then Arsenal had won it a few times. And I just think they knew how to get it done. And they they probably had a slightly stronger and longer squad. So whereas our first eleven, you know, probably our first thirteen could mix it with them. We if you start getting into sort of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, we probably started to lose a bit on them. And and I think there was a real reliance on playing the same probably 11 or 12 as much as he could. And I think in the end, what happened was we played too much, too many games, you know, whereas like Man United would be taking players out and putting, you know, another international in, into place. They were doing it a lot. Um, and when, whereas we had to go with our sort of best 11 almost every week to stay with them. So it's probably that, that depth in the squad was probably the the reason that they um, that they did it, and that's just the knowledge of being there and, and doing it, and you know that, that that they had, and we we certainly pushed them. You know, I think we we were something like fourth or something like fifth, fourth, third, fourth. So we you know we were there and pushing, but it's a it's a it's a tough group to break into and break through. Um, you know, and and it wasn't long after that Leeds team sort of broke up that you know, then Arsenal and then Man United went through a transition and that would have been the opportunity if we'd have been timing that team to come at that time, you know, we'd have probably have pushed through. But, um, 
we we were definitely playing at them playing them when they were at the best. When you look back on you know because you had real success at Leeds, you played a lot of games, didn't you? You were you were a real mainstay at Leeds, and then at the end of the two thousand and two season, it, everything changed for you there. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I played I played every game of that. Um, 2001 2002 season played every game no injuries played at, you know at every training session didn't miss a training session did absolutely everything and then you go to the world cup and we literally had two days off from the last game of the season then we went to dubai and we did like another mini pre-season so more training more running more hard physical work at the end of the season to get us ready for the world cup and we did that, went to the World Cup. And as the, as the goalie who doesn't play, you doing all the training that the other goalie's doing. But on the day that he has the game, you have a full-on proper training session and you're working harder than he is in the game by yeah. a mile. Um, and then you have to do the warm-up and everything um, on the day. So as a consequence, you go to a World Cup, you work your socks off as a, as a player. And if you, you know, if you're not playing, you know, you're getting the extra sessions, the extra, you know, hard work to be ready in case you need it. And then um, came back off the back of that and uh, David O'Leary had been sacked and um, we didn't have a manager and Eddie Gray had taken over. And I remember getting the call, right, you know, coming for training uh, for pre-season. And I was like, 12 days after the last game, you know, by the time you've flown back and, you know, a couple of days getting used to the thing again and 10 days later, you suddenly you're, you're back in pre-season. I remember going back in, I was naked. And um, Terry Venables had been announced as being the the, the manager, um, but he wasn't at the at the ground at all. So um, I've gone in this particular day and, and Ed said about this... Um, trip pre-season trip they're going to China to Australia and to um, Thailand on a pre-season tour and I've just come from there and I'm like absolutely knackered so so I said I said to Eddie I went Ed you know the best thing for me to do is to not go on that trip I don't want to go on that trip I'm tired I've just gone from there I've not seen my family in weeks um, I just need a bit more time at home you know can I not go on that trip? And he went, not up to me, it's up to the new manager. So I said, okay, well, can you tell him I don't want to go? So he said, yeah. So next day, the following day, I go into training. I'm out on the training pitch. I'm halfway through a goalkeeping session. I'm covered in mud. Um, and Eddie comes over and goes, right, the gaffer's ringing you in 10 minutes on his in his office. So, you know, get yourself in. So I'm running, kick my boots off outside the training, sort of literally peeled off like my outer layers so I'm just in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and the socks and walked in and his secretary sort of sat there and I've gone oh you know hi she goes yeah he'll be he'll be calling you in a second so she, she said just make yourself at home in his room so I've gone in and as I've gone in I've gone he's been the manager for you know a few days now where is he and she went oh he's just away filming wish you were here <laughs> so I was like oh, okay <laughs> So, um, phone rings, pick it up. Hi, Nigel, Terry. I said, oh, hi, hi, boss. You know, uh, you know, what's this? You don't want to go on the trip. And I went, you're the England manager. You know, you surely, you know, but I've literally just come back off. I've had 10 days off, 12 days off. 
I'm knackered. I don't, you know, it's detrimental for me to go on that. And he just, he just said, if you don't go on the trip, you never play for the club again. And I, and I actually, I remember saying, do you know what? At this particular moment, I don't care. Like, I remember saying it because mm. I was just, I just needed time at home and, and to, to a bit more time. I, I would have gone in every day and trained. Um, I just needed to be home and, and to relax and sort of get back into everything. And, um, so I said, so I remember saying that and he just put the phone down. So I was like, okay, end the conversation. So I went out. I remember going over to Paul Robinson, who was the other goalie. And I went, oh, so he went, how was that? And I went, put it this way, you'll be playing this season. <laughs> so he was like laughing and really? And I went, yeah, I said it, it wasn't good. <laughs> so um, he then comes in, ignores me. I'm off training now with the kids. He takes the first team off. They all go and do their thing. They go abroad, they come back. Um, and he he then plays um, a few friendlies and pre-season games. And he's, there was a, a, our number three goalie or number two goalie then was an Australian lad, Danny Milosevic, lovely guy, um, really good goalie, um, very popular. Everyone liked him. And um, so Danny's been on the bench and he's got half in a few of these games and he's, he's all happy. And then on the Friday morning, um, Terry comes over to me and goes, oh, by the way, I'm putting you on the bench on Saturday. So like, so not only he's got me, he's alienated me, he's now alienated the other guy who, who's looking forward to being on the bench. And, and and so I've just gone up to Danny and said, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, mate, if, I, if it could have been different, you know, it would have been. And he, he was gutted, but he understood the situation. So I spent the whole season on the bench um, watching, you know, the team that had been finishing third, fourth, fifth every year suddenly turned into this team that had no um, energy, no closing down, no, nothing, and it just it just went downhill. And and you know, we, I think we stayed up very late on in the season. You know, I think Terry got the sack and Peter Reid took over, and and really struggled. Um, just stayed up, and then. The following season, Peter Reid had taken over and he said, right, whichever one of you two does the best in pre-season is going to play uh, for me. So I said, great. Um, we had two and a half games each. I let in two goals, one of which was a penalty. Robbo let in seven. Uh, and then Peter Reid said, um, right, OK, uh, you've both done really well. Um, I've not made up my mind yet, but I'm going to give Robbo the number one jersey. <laughs> so, so I was just like, well, you obviously have made up your mind then. So he went, well, to be honest, I've got to play him. I've been told because his value is, is you know, he's young and he's worth money to the club, so I have to play him. And I'm, I'm really sorry I'm going to have to play him. And I was like, well, just tell me the truth. I don't want to be messed around. So, you know, I, I just thought it was going to be another year on, you know, sitting on the bench. And then, then Everton came in and went across there and had three great seasons yeah, there. Loved it, it. It was a bit of a sad ending, really, at least for you then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Ultimately. It was because, again, I mean... I've been so lucky throughout my whole career. The supporters of always of all the clubs I've played at, I've got on with and have maintained a really good relationship with. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't go slagging off my ex team. I, I don't I just don't see that. I I actually care about it. You know, it's um, so you know it, it was a sad end. You know, I'd got on really well with the supporters. The supporters were like they they couldn't believe because then they sold me and then you know Robbo plays. They get relegated. Then they sell Robbo. Yeah. And then they had Scott Carson was was just coming through as well then that season and Scott was a really good you know he played for England so you had three England goalkeepers there at one point 
Um, and what, what they should have done was sold Robbo, played me right up until the point where Scott was ready to come in. Yeah. That's what they should have done, but they didn't. So they ended up then selling Paul or selling me, then selling Paul and putting Scott in probably two seasons before he was ready. So um, it, it wasn't handled in the best way, but you know, it was, I, I guess the financial strain on everyone just makes probably decision-making a little bit clouded and, and yeah. you know, that that's what happened. I guess, you know, they had to get me off the wage bill. Um, and, you know, I, I went to Everton and, and I just thought, do you know what? I'm, I just just turned thirty-seven when I went to Everton. I thought, do you know what? I'm I'm, I'm going to have a go at this. And at thirty-seven, you know, suddenly it's a new challenge. And you know, I I, I loved it. You yeah. know, we we just stayed up that season, one place ahead of Leeds to get relegated. You know, and and I don't I don't take any satisfaction in that. Other than if I'd been playing at Leeds, I'd like to think that I could have done that for them. Yeah, but with a, an Everton team that wasn't as good as that Leeds team, you know, managed to stay up. And then the next season, you know, we finished fourth, you know, in, in, in the league and get Champions League qualification. So it was, it was a really good turnaround, um, you know, going there. And, and you know, I, I, loved, I loved it. It's a really good club, is Everton, as is Leeds, as is Crystal Palace, as, as are you guys. You yeah. know, I've, I've loved all my clubs and I still, to this day, always check results for all of them. So... I think that's, yeah, it's difficult for you. I mean, you played as many, I mean, every 600 games you played in total, didn't you? So it's, it's I guess it's difficult. I mean, my biggest surprise really uh, is that you only, your combined transfer fees were only something like 3.2 million over that period of time. And, and that's probably because you stayed a long time at each club. Um, I mean, everything yeah. got a complete bargain at 2.2 million for you. Um no, that Leeds. That was going to Leeds was two. two oh, was it? I was there. I thought. I thought. Do you go to Everton? For no, e- e- Everton apparently was. Well, it went down as five. Uh, it went down as two hundred and fifty thousand, but apparently Everton had to pay five hundred thousand, which was a two hundred and fifty thousand pound interest-free loan. Because <laughs> <laughs> Leeds were struggling, so obviously Leeds had to pay that back. But That's um, bad, isn't it? sorry, Ash, you yeah. have a question. Yeah, I wanted to ask you um, about your just to go back to your England career a little bit. There was two things I wanted to ask you. Number one was a particular game where um, David Beckham would always get the headlines for putting the ball in the top corner with about a minute to go. But I just seem to remember that Karagunas was through on goal twice that day, and the man in net pulled out one of the most outrageous saves I've ever seen. I think I think it was when he shot across the goal, and you saved it, and you didn't only save it, you held it, and then got back up. And played it on. So, what to you is that sort of like that moment? Is your whole career you've been training, you've been, and it all comes right at that moment for your country? Do you think I've just sent my country to the World Cup in a little bit? Yeah, um, it's a really strange one because I wasn't playing that game up until I think probably Friday morning. Dave went out and tried to train, but his shoulder was in bits at the time, and. So I knew Friday that, you know, I was playing on the Saturday. So, A, you know, you'd like to know as early as you can. So it wasn't, you know, it was early enough, but it wasn't as early as you'd like. So you're playing that game and, you know, you're playing an England game at Old Trafford and the the, the game itself, the, the pitch hadn't been watered. Man United had grown it long because there is a... 
England and Man United don't get on or didn't get on at that time. You know, there was definitely something going on there because, um, you know, the pitch should have been watered, you know, like Wembley and been like a carpet where you could zip the ball along. But if you tried to pass it, it just stuck in the grass. It didn't go anywhere, which kind of, we wanted to play at a fast tempo and you couldn't. So, the you know, suddenly you're playing the game and it's like, it's really hard work. You know, when it's not a good performance at all. Um, and, and so, you know, you find yourself sort of really struggling Personally, I felt like I was doing okay and I was doing everything I can. And then, you know, it, it's because of who he is and the time of the goal and, and his performance on the day was was incredible as well. So he, he's always going to grab the headlines um, and and the rest of us will always accept that because, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, the, the good thing for me was it was the people, um, like a couple of the players... Um, Ray Clements, who was the goalkeeping coach, and even Sven sort of said, "You know, you're part of the reason that we we we're through today." Um, which so that's that's always nice, and that's something that you know personally you can take on board, um, and you, and you kind of think you've got a chance of maybe being involved, um, but then you know the World Cup comes around and Dave's fit as a fiddle again, and yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know. Is that what's tough it, for you? Um, I was gonna, sorry, Ash. I was just so, going to say. What, my, my second question was going to be, what's it like being at a World Cup with England? Because the media are always around World Cup time. We know what the, the red tops are like for looking for controversy and for some reason seem to be intent on destabilising us. What's it like to be in that in that bubble when a story comes out about, I, don't, I mean, I can't really remember the stories off the top of my head, but say a story comes out about a player or a manager or something. What's it like being in that bubble? Um... It is it is a bit strange because um, you know it's I don't know if it, yeah it was that World Cup when Beckham had his party wasn't it and we mm. so there was the big party and it was like a who's who of everybody Elton John and God knows who else and we we all had to go but I can remember being at the hotel with Amanda before and the kids because you know we were all allowed to go and 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 them saying right okay draw all your curtains because even though we're in the middle of the country miles from anywhere, there could be a guy, you know, a mile away with a camera and he'd, he'd like nothing more than for you to be no clothes on just out of the shower and he can zoom you from a, from a mile away and take the photo and stick that on the paper. Do you know what I mean? They, it was that sort of spotlight that, I mean, I hate all that to be honest. Um, so that was the side of it. I didn't enjoy so much. My favourite part was always just being playing and being around my teammates and all that. I didn't, I didn't enjoy, um, you know, all the other glitz and glamour and other stuff that comes with it. Brilliant, Nigel. Thanks ever so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Really appreciate it. Um, as a as a fan, love watching your development and and I thoroughly enjoyed. And I think speak for all of us, we just thoroughly enjoyed watching what happened to you really over your career and uh, wish you continued success. Thank you. Thank you. I, no, I, I love my time at, at, at Rovers and I couldn't have asked for a, a better club and, and supporters to have, to have got into, you know, it, I guess you had to be a little bit patient with me to start with and, and sort of grew with me really. And, and, you know, it's got a special place in my heart because it's, you know, with, without that, I'd have been, um, 
you know, working in the plastics factory in Cornwall probably <laughs> today. So, uh, so, you know, there you go. It's, you know, it's a two-way street, definitely. You know, my, my affection is still there for, for, for the gas heads and everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still checking the results. And, you know, the perfect scenario for me is, uh, you know, obviously uh, Rovers and Plymouth go up this year. Yeah, <laughs> no, that'd be it. I can be, be really happy and... Uh, you know, that's that's what I'd like the most. Brilliant stuff. We'd take, we'd take that, Nigel. We'd take that. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think we all would. <laughs> can you hear the tone and voice I can hear everything. And when so, thanks for joining us on Retro Rovers. Check out our website, www.retrorovers.co.uk. Lots of images of days gone by, and that's where you can catch up with all our latest episodes. They're also available on all your favourite podcast applications as well. Don't forget, if you want to check out what's going on a bit more up to date on Rovers, check out the guys at Gascast do a great job at keeping you entertained with all the latest happenings at the club. We'll see you on the next episode. Bradford Mayor Bix, the 7th of January 1956 And can you hear the talk?